I felt, well, first of all, let me tell you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7 where we find our study today. I hadn't intend to, intended to start out the message this way, but I, I feel like the Lord impressed me that I need to say this, that when you come to Berean Baptist Church, don't expect to see a show. Uh, don't expect you'll see anything inventive, uh, a market-driven philosophy to try to bring people in the church because we believe that the old-fashioned gospel of Christ preached by Jesus and the apostles is the only thing that will ever save a soul. We don't need to change it. We don't need to modernize it. We pick it up exactly as Jesus said and exactly as the apostles taught it. And we take it faithfully down through the centuries. It's converted souls all of that time from reading from the pure word of God and expounding what God's word says. And that's all we need to know. So in Matthew chapter 7, I'm continuing the second part of a five-part message on appalling preachers. We're in the closing verses on the, of the Sermon on the Mount, and we're getting close to the end of this sermon, and we find here that the closing verses of this greatest sermon that was ever preached has a common theme. Jesus said, there is a straight gate, there is a restricted gate that opens up into eternal life. He said that it was a narrow path, and of all the people that are in the world, there are only a few people that are on that right path. But on the other hand, he says that there is a broad gate, and he says there is a broad way that leads to destruction, and the vast majority of the world is on that broad path. Now, the peculiar thing about both of these paths is that they are marked heaven. Both of the paths are marked heaven. And there's a road sign that says heaven on each one, but only one path actually leads there. Uh, There's a neon sign flashing on the broad way to destruction that says this is the way to go. You need to come this way. We're telling you the truth. And you'll find out that when you get through that gate and when you walk that path, it opens up to the abyss of hell. Now, this is a warning that Jesus gives in these last few verses. Not only is it a wrong path that's marked in the wrong way, but there are many preachers that have intentions to entice you to go the wrong way. And I'm not speaking of Buddhists and Muslims and Hindus and New Age gurus. They're also on a path to destruction. But I'm speaking here, and Jesus is also speaking, of those who are in pseudo-Christianity... Those who have Christian on the door of the church, but they're false Christians, and they're preaching a false doctrine, and they really don't belong to Christ. And these verses are a warning to us that we need to be on the lookout, that you have to be discerning. You have to understand that there is this broad path. There are many people on it. There are people that are trying to lead you astray. And if you're not careful, those people will get into your minds. They will capture your mind. They'll fill it with nonsense. They'll fill it with the devil's doctrine. And your soul hangs in the balance. What you believe determines between heaven and hell. Now, I'd like for us to look at these verses today. We're reading, beginning in verse number 15, and we're going to read down to verse number 20. But you'll see as we end up the sermon in these last few verses uh, in, in future weeks that the sermon does have a common theme. There's this warning that runs through the last part. If you'd stand with me, please, once again, as we look at Matthew chapter 7, verse number 15. 
Jesus says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the reading of your word today. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand your word. Speak to us through it, and may we give the same warning that Jesus gives, and may people understand very clearly there is a way that leads to heaven and a way that leads to hell, and Jesus Christ is the only way that we can go to heaven. Bless in this time today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want you to notice in verse number 15 that Jesus says, Beware, beware, or Watch out. Be careful. It means be on the lookout because there's something bad that can happen to you. You walk up to a house that has a sign on it that says, Beware of the dog. You know that you don't want to go through that gate because if you go through there, there's something bad on the other side and if you're not careful, you're going to get your leg torn off. And that is the sense of Jesus' warning that he gives in this passage. Beware of false prophets. There is grave danger. And so in last week's message, we began part number one with that point that a false prophet is dangerous. And this is the cause of the warning. Your soul is in danger, and so you have to very cautiously proceed. Now I want to mention again, as I did last week, that these messages that I'm preaching, and it is a five-part message where I'm preaching on appalling preachers, false prophets, these are considered to be divisive messages. There are people who say that well, you, you're just far too narrow. Uh, your church is, thinks it has the only way and you're out there on the fringe somewhere. And what you need to do is you need to get on the bandwagon with all the rest of us and you need to join us and all the other churches in peace, love, and harmony. And that is exactly what Jesus is warning us about in this passage. Jesus was a very divisive preacher. He separated sheep from goats. He separated those of his own people that he was taking to heaven and those that were in the devil's crowd that were on their way to hell. And so Jesus gave very strict teachings. He gave one way. He was not a Christ of pluralism. He was the Christ of the one true living God. And he stated, if you want to get to heaven, you come his way or you don't come at all. Now today we have a city and we have a nation, we have a world of false preachers, appalling preachers, Wolves that are in sheep's clothing and they're brandishing a Christianity that says that you can do what you want, you can live like you want, you can believe what you want. There is no such thing as absolute truth. There is not a single way. There are many paths that actually lead to God and you take the path that you want to go and when you get there, wherever you're going, we're all coming to the same place and we'll all end up at the same place. And Jesus says, yes, most people will end up at the same place. Most people are worshiping from the pews of Christian churches, Christian churches, and they're headed down to the same place on the wrong path that Jesus is talking about. And that wrong path is a path that leads into hell. False prophet is very dangerous because when he preaches to you, he claims that he's speaking for God. 
Jesus says, beware of them. They're false preachers, appalling preachers. They claim to speak for God when they're actually speaking the lies of the devil. If you went to a church and the preacher stood up and he said, well, this is what I think. I really don't have any basis for what I think. I just think this. Then probably you'd stay away from that church. Most people would. Some people do fall for that. But most people want to think, well, I'm in the same religion as God's religion. Most people will listen to a preacher who says, this is God's word. This is what God is telling you. I'm telling you the truth because God said it. And so if you go to church A, B, or C, the preacher is not going to stand behind the podium or walk across the stage back and forth and say, I'm telling you lies. God didn't say this. This is my idea. I have no other ideas where it came from. Well, those preachers will do exactly what I'm doing today. They claim that they speak for God. And they say, well, this is God's word. This is the way that you can go to heaven. Because you ha- but you have to watch out for them because there are many that are preaching. They're holding up a sign that says this is the way to heaven when behind that sign and through their gate is that abyss, as I've said, that leads you straight into hell. So the false preacher has a false way. It's a way of destruction. And that's why Jesus says that he's dangerous. He leads people to hell while they think that they're actually on their way to heaven. Well, that was the first part of the message. I I need to move on. We do have a lot to cover. Uh, This is such an important topic that we are splitting it up into five weeks. And Jesus didn't begin the sermon with this. He ended with this. These are the last words that he gave us in the sermon. He put down the correct doctrine in the first part of the message. He gave the right practice in the second part of it. He said there is the right way in the third part of it. And now in this last part, he tells us that there are those who would deviously lead you away from the principles that he's just taught. So secondly, we want to notice today, a false prophet has a disguise. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Uh, The false prophet comes in sheep's clothing. That means that he has a disguise. I want you to notice... First of all, concerning this, that they're not always openly heretical. The false teachers that you hear are not always just openly heretical people. Now, some of them are. Some of them right up front, you can tell, well, that has to be wrong. That's not orthodox Christianity. And so right from the very start, you know something's wrong with them. But there are people that follow some of those kinds of people because they really don't care about truth anyway. A few years ago, Reverend Moon claimed that he was Christ, and he got a lot of people to follow him. He said that I am the Messiah. Many of you are familiar with Jim Jones, who had a church in San Francisco, and he claimed that he was God's prophet. He was a wicked man who lived a very wicked lifestyle. Eventually, he led over 900 people to their deaths by drinking poisonous Kool-Aid. They blindly followed him. And there were other people who said, well, how can anybody do that? How, how can anybody follow somebody like Jim Jones? That's foolish to believe in him. In 1993, uh, David Koresh led a group of people in a cult called the Branch Davidians. Koresh also claimed that he was the Christ. And he actually said that he is the one that was going to open up the seven seals in the book of Revelation. We know what happened to him, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, along with the FBI, raided his compound in Waco, Texas, and burned it to the ground. And 73 of his followers, 
including Koresh, or 76 rather, including Koresh, died in that fire. Those are openly heretical preachers. They're, they're easily spotted. They're successful at deceiving a few, maybe a few only, and I think they're somewhat considered in the passage here. But what Jesus is really talking about, he's not talking about the whacked out and the far out. He's talking about false prophets that are much, much more subtle. These are men that are very good at their deception. They can slip in among true Christians, among good Christian people. They can infiltrate honestly seeking people, and they give them poisonous lies that lead them astray. Now, most of them are considered to be orthodox. You can't always spot them easily because they do look good enough to be the real thing. There might actually be some truth in what they say. Uh, they may preach a doctrine that sounds very similar to ours. And they may even, may even open up the same Bible and read from the same verses that we're reading from. But the doctrines that they draw out of those verses are very mixed up and confused. A few weeks ago, I was coming home from vacation, and I was listening to a program on the radio as I was driving. And I don't often listen to the radio. But I was listening to a program that was called Catholic Apologetics. And the subject of the program was questions that Protestants can't answer. And what they were talking about was justification. And there was a Roman Catholic apologist that was using the book of James, and he was teaching on this program that we are not justified by our faith alone. So there were people that were calling in and arguing with him, and he would never let anyone speak to to get a complete sentence out. He would interrupt them. And it was one of those times I was driving along when I was getting so angry that I wanted to pull that radio right out of the dash and throw it out the window. I mean, I couldn't call in. But I was listening to this man. I was frustrated by the constant misuse of Scripture because the Bible teaches that we are justified by our faith alone and we can't be saved by any works that we do. Now, the subtle part of that is that the Roman Catholic says, yes, We are justified by faith. Did you know that? They actually affirm we are justified by faith, but what they won't do is to add that little word alone. That seems like a really simple matter, doesn't it? That's not really too much of a difference, is it? Friends, that is a major difference. If we are not justified by faith alone, then it means there is no grace in salvation. Grace and works can never mix. That's according to the Apostle Paul. He said in Romans 11, And if by grace, then it is no more works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. And so if we're not justified by our faith alone, then Christ is not the Savior. We are our own Savior. And no matter how much that Christ has done, and no matter how many deaths that he could die on so many crosses, it wouldn't make any difference because we have to save ourselves. It's our work that actually saves us. Now that is actually a major theme that we find right here in the Sermon on the Mount. The scribes and the Pharisees that Jesus was teaching were the, were the, were the best of the best of the religious world. They had more works than anybody. And yet their works was the trap that they fell into that doomed them to hell. And it's the same thing for those who believe the the doctrines of Roman Catholicism. Now most people don't have any problem believing that the Roman Catholic Church is orthodox. Orthodox actually means adhering to what is commonly accepted. So many people believe that the Roman Catholic Church was the first church. 
it began with Peter. How could you be more orthodox than that? First church began with Peter, one of the apostles. I don't have time to go into all of that, but if you come to the Sunday night series that we're going through right now, we'll talk a little bit more about it. But that's what this program also said. They said that they could trace the line of the popes to Peter and the laying on of hands of the apostolic succession comes all the way down through history to Pope Benedict XVI. Well, what could be more right than that? Uh, what, what could possibly be more orthodox? And yet, on the very most important doctrine of Scripture, that of justification, how that a person can actually go to heaven, the Roman Catholic Church is not only wrong, but they put billions on the broad path that leads them to destruction. By the way, Peter wasn't the first pope. And the current pope doesn't have any authority from God. He is a false prophet. I told you the messages would be divisive. But they're not going to be more divisive than God is himself. Now notice again that he says, They come to you in sheep's clothing, but they are really ravening wolves. Now that tells us that they're always dressed to kill. Now, I don't say that in a flattering way. Sometimes when people dress up really nicely and uh, they look really attractive, we say, well, they're dressed to kill. Well, it works both ways for the highly religious. If you look at the regalia of Rome, uh, the Pope is dressed to kill in more ways than one. But why do you suppose that Christ talks about sheep and wolves and why does he use this comparison? It's actually very common Bible language. In fact, God's people are called sheep. David said in the Psalms, Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Shepherding was a major occupation to the, uh, among the Jews, and there are many references found through scriptures about it. Uh, David, who was the most beloved king, was a former shepherd. And when you read the Psalms, you read a lot about shepherding and um, the comparisons are made. There are lots of analogies. Abraham, who's the nation's spiritual father, was a keeper of sheep. Isaac and Jacob also kept sheep. Moses, who was the greatest prophet in Israel, at one time was a tender of sheep. And so when Jesus uses this analogy, he's using something that's very close to their hearts. They understand this. The shepherd was there as someone who would guard the sheep. Sheep are defenseless animals. Sheep have no natural protection. Sheep doesn't even have a homing sense. If one gets lost, you have to go out and find it. And that's what a shepherd does. A sheep is the type of animal that since he has no homing instinct, in order to tell what, he, what he's supposed to do, where he's supposed to go, that he listens for a familiar voice. And that's what a shepherd is. He is a familiar voice to the sheep. Remember that Jesus was saddened over the way that Israel had wandered away from God. And the scripture says, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Oh, that, that's bad because a sheep having no shepherd is in a perilous position. The most common enemy of the sheep was a wolf. Now, a wolf is the kind of animal that if he can grab something and eat it without too much of a fuss and a fight, that's what he really wants to do. And so he likes to target sheep. A sheep have no natural defenses. And so the sheep will do everything he can to slip into the fold, to get in with the sheep that are there, unsuspectingly, to avoid detection so that he can grab a sheep. And sheep that don't have the shepherd there to protect them 
are in perilous danger. Now remember, I just said a sheep will listen to a familiar voice and he'll follow that familiar voice. So when you think of a wolf getting in among the sheep, we're talking about someone here that becomes familiar to the sheep. A a prophet speaker who comes in and things sound good and they learn to follow him. Jesus talks about a wolf in sheep's clothing. And you know, most of the time we think about that, we think about a, a wolf in among the sheep and you see the pictures in the nursery rhymes and things like that. And he's got a big piece of wool pulled over his head with little sheep eyes at the top. And the wolf tries to look like the sheep. But that's not the analogy that Jesus is making here. The wolf does not try to look like the sheep. When he says they come in sheep's clothing, this wolf wants to look like the shepherd. He's trying to make himself the shepherd. So the shepherd is familiar to the sheep because they would see him coming and he would always have on the wool of the sheep. That's what he made his clothes out of. And that's what Jesus means when he says the wolf comes in sheep's clothing. There's a shepherd. He looks like a good shepherd and he wears the clothing of a sheep. So Jesus is telling us here that this false shepherd, this false teacher, looks like a real teacher of God's word, and people become deceived by it because they think that he can be trusted. And a false prophet is really good at this. He looks like a loving, caring shepherd. He looks like a good pastor. And that's actually where the word comes from, pastor. That means someone who leads the sheep. So, he looks like a good pastor, a good leader, but... He's really a fake. He's dressed to kill, and he's there to take advantage of the flock and lead them astray. Listen to what Jeremiah says. Jeremiah 23, 1. Woe be unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, saith the Lord. Now, we're going to come back to Jeremiah 23 in later messages, but here's the warning. Not all pastors, not all shepherds are the real thing. They're wolves that are disguised as shepherds. Now, here's another interesting thing about their clothing. In the Old Testament days, a prophet was distinguished by the type of clothing that he wore. You remember when John the Baptist came uh, on the scene? We, We read about him in the New Testament, but actually John the Baptist was the last Old Testament prophet. Jesus said in Matthew 11, 13, "...for all the prophets and law prophesied until John." So John was the last prophet of the law. And one of the ways that people knew that John was a prophet was by the type of clothing that he wore. In fact, they mistook him for Elijah. They they believed that he was maybe Elijah or one of the Old Testament prophets that had come back from the dead. I want you to turn to John chapter 1, if you would. And here we find the record of John the Baptist. He was a prophet and he was actually mistaken as the resurrection of one of the other Old Testament prophets. And so in John chapter 1, verse number 19, the scripture says, And this is the record of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they answered him, What then? Art thou Elias, or art thou Elijah? And he saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? meaning one of the other prophets, like Jeremiah. And he answered, no. Then, they, then said they unto him, Who art thou, that we may, get, we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. 
Now, what do you suppose if those priests and Levites came to John to ask him questions? Why did they do that? Well, first of all, the message he was preaching was strange. John the Baptist was out there preaching about repentance and telling people, you need to repent of your sins. You need to get right with God. And he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. And he said, you, have to be, you need to be baptized. Well, that was a very peculiar message. And so people came out to see what he had to say. But that wasn't all. The Jews believed that before the Messiah came, that actually one of the Old Testament prophets would arise from the grave and they would come back and they would be a prophet in Israel again. And so they went out there and they heard that John the Baptist was preaching in the wilderness. So they went out to see him and they noticed the way that he was dressed. And Matthew, it says, early Matthew chapter 3, and the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins and his meat was locust and wild honey. Those Old Testament prophets were very peculiar people. They dressed in a very strange fashion. They lived a very austere lifestyle. In this case, John the Baptist, or John the Baptist and also Elijah wore camel's hair. Now, that, that's not a camel's hair coat like you and I think about wearing today. That's like going out there and killing a camel and just cutting off his hide, throwing it over you and making a coat out of it. And then he took a, a belt, a leather belt, and tied it about his waist to keep that thing on. Well, Elijah wore that same type of clothing. It's an interesting story in the Old Testament about this. Let's, let's go to Second Kings chapter 1. And I hope that you don't mind reading a lot of Scripture because one of the things that a false prophet will do, he'll try to steer you away from Scripture doesn't necessarily want you to read the Bible, but I like to see how all this fits together. So let, let's look at 2 Kings chapter 1, verse number 1. 2 Kings 1, verse number 1. Then Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. And Ahaziah fell down through a lattice in his upper chamber that was in Samaria and was sick. And he sent messengers and said unto them, Go inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover of this disease. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say unto them, Is it not because there is not a god in Israel that ye go to inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore thus saith the Lord, Thou shalt not come down from that bed on which thou art gone up, but shalt surely die." And Elijah departed, and when the messengers turned back to him, that is, back to Ahaziah, he said unto them, Why are ye now turned back? And they said unto him, There came a man to meet us, and said unto us, Go turn again to the king that sent you, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Is it not because there is not a God in Israel that thou sendest to inquire of Baalzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore thou shalt not come down from that bed on which thou art gone up, but shalt surely die." And he said unto him, them, What manner of man was he which came up to meet you and told you these words? And they answered him, He was a hairy man, and girt with the girdle of leather about his loins. And he said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. Now you get the story of what's going on here? Ahaziah, king of Israel, had taken a terrible fall, and he was about to die. So he sent some messengers over to Ekron, to inquire of a false god by the name of Baalzebub. These messengers were on their way, and they ran across Elijah. Only they didn't know who Elijah was. And Elijah said to them, Well, why are you going to inquire of this false god? Don't you know that there is a true god in Israel? 
Jehovah God has said that Ahaziah is going to die. He's not going to get up from his sick bed. He will die. And so the messengers returned to Ahaziah to deliver that message. And Ahaziah said, who told you that? And they said, we don't know, but he sure did dress funny. Look again at verse 8. He says, and they answered him, he was a hairy man and girt with a, le- a girdle of leather about his loins. And he said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. He was a hairy man. Well, that doesn't mean that he had hair all over his body. and It means that he was wearing this camel's hair coat. This, this, this hide of a camel, this old hairy hide, he was wearing that. And Ahaziah said, I know who that is. He'd seen him before. He was acquainted with Elijah. He said, that is Elijah the Tishbite. How did he know? It was the clothing. And that's why the priest and the Levites went out into the wilderness to see John the Baptist because he had on the clothing of a prophet. Prophets always dress that way. So what do you suppose that a false prophet in Israel would do when he wanted to look like a real prophet? He'd go get these kind of clothes. He'd put on the camel's hair. He'd put on the leather girdle. And so he would look like a prophet. In fact, in Zechariah 13, verse 4, it says that's characteristic of a false prophet. He wears a rough garment to deceive. And so that's the point that Jesus makes in Matthew 17, uh, 7, 15, about a wolf in sheep's clothing. A false prophet tries to look like a good shepherd. Now, this next part is so obvious, I think that I have to comment on it. And that is, what do you think of a pastor who puts on a robe or puts on certain clothing to set himself off from others. And that's, I'm not saying that that is a sinful, evil thing. I'm just trying to make a comparison here. Have you ever heard this expression, a man of the cloth? How many of you heard that before? Well, you know what that means. It means that goes back to the old days when preachers wore certain types of clothing and they were called men of the cloth. And when you said that, you knew that that person was a preacher. That's what you were referring to. And so there are many people who are men of the cloth and they wear the garments of the clergy. So they put on robes. Back in Kentucky, we used to say they put on a backwards collar. Really, it's a clerical collar, but that's what we would call it. But here's another expression for you. The clothes don't make the man. The clothes don't make a preacher. You better be looking a little bit deeper than a person's clothes to find out if he is really a true prophet of God and if he's telling you the truth. And so he may stand up in a black shirt. He may wear a clerical collar. might even wear a bathrobe in the pulpit. I don't know. He might wear a suit and tie just like I do. But what you need to do is check him out by the word of God. See if what he's saying is actually the truth. Is he trying to deceive you? And it used to be that all you had to worry about were the men. Sometimes I get catalogs in the mail with clothes for the clergy. And I've noticed in there that they have some really nice pastel colors too. So you don't have to wear black. And so all the lady preachers, they can put on their pastel colors and their collars. Friend, let me tell you something. If you see a church sign where the pastor's name is Sally, you are silly if you go in there. (laughs) Stay away from a place like that. Whenever a woman stands in a pulpit, she is an open defiance of God's word. Anytime a woman says that she's preaching, that she has the right to stand in the pulpit, and she has the right to lead a church, she's straight from the devil, because there is no warrant for that in the New Testament. These are wolves in sheep's clothing. They look the part, but a false prophet always has a disguise. 
Now, one more point or comment that I want to make before I finish that point. Something else you need to watch out for, and that's the title reverend. Some people use it innocently, but there are people that are fooled by the term reverend. Do you know who's reverend? Only God is reverend. Psalm 111 verse 9 says, He sent redemption unto his people. He hath commanded his covenant forever. Holy and reverend is his name. Don't call me Reverend Smith. Holy and reverend is his name. Now let me finish today with this. I've got a lot more to say in the next sermons. But let's finish today with this. The purpose of their disguise. Why, why do they disguise themselves? Well, they always appear harmless. They disguise themselves in order to appear harmless. And that's why they're so dangerous. The disguise makes them appear that way. What happens if a big bad wolf jumps into the middle of the sheep? The sheep take off running, don't they? They scatter everywhere. Now, what if I mentioned to you today that in our evening service that, that Benny Hinn is going to be preaching tonight in our service? Some of you would come back out of curiosity. but <laughs> You'd say, what has that preacher got up his sleeve now? But there are others of you that would be so disgusted by that you'd be ready to throw me out the door. I mean, even if he could cure your bursitis, you wouldn't come to hear him because he's a false preacher. And, and let me stop on that for just a moment. Why is it that the faith healers can cure cancer and they can cure spinal diseases and heart problems but I've never seen anybody walk up to one of them and say, you know something, I've got this wart on my nose. Can you get rid of that right now? I've never seen that happen before. You see, a wolf in the middle of the sheep scatters the sheep. They're, they're aware of who he is, and so they're not going to hang around. And that's why the devil never comes in a red suit with a pitchfork and a pointed tail. He never appears that way. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no more great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works." So this false prophet has a disguise. He looks like a minister of righteousness. So according to what Jesus says here, should you be surprised that there are actually preachers and there are churches that look like the real thing, but they're not the real thing? Why would you think that every single church in Ronard Park is teaching the truth or in Santa Rosa? Why, why would you assume that all of those churches are teaching the truth of God's word? Well, one thing that you'll notice is that we're not saying the same things they're saying. A lot of them agree. They've locked arms with one another and they're skipping down a path. And sadly, for them and everybody who follows them, that path leads into the pit of hell. So if you don't see a difference in Berean Baptist Church and everybody that's out there, if you don't see a difference, folks, I'm not doing my job. I'm not doing my job if I'm just like them. All these false teachers, if you don't hear a different message here, and if you don't hear something backed up by the Word of God, then you keep looking. Leave here and go look somewhere else. Find something else. But if what you hear is different, and if what you, what you hear affects your heart so that you know that the Holy Spirit is speaking truth to you, then you stay with us and you worship with us and you make Brian Baptist Church your church. 
As I said last week, we're not the only church in the world that ever preached the truth and not preaching truth. But folks, they are few and far between today. There are many false prophets. So appalling preachers, there are a lot of them that are out there. I don't want you to give up on this series. I mean, sometimes I say some things that you think are a little rough on people. It's hard on people. But I want you to hear the rest of the story. Because you need to come back and you need to hear about their doctrine. What are they teaching that's contrary to the Word of God? And how do you find out exactly who they are? What are the marks? What are the signs that these are false prophets? And then we're going to talk in the last lesson about what happens to them. What does the Bible say happens to a false teacher? Now, we'll tell you, in a nutshell, encapsulated right here at the end of the message, what we do at Berean Baptist Church. The message of our church is Scripture alone, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, and for the glory of God alone. There won't be a message about you, how good you are. There'll be a message that'll make you fall down before the Almighty God and say, I am a sinner, I deserve hell, and I need you to save me from my sins. That's the message that you'll hear here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time you brought us together. And Lord, we just ask you that you would speak to hearts today. The world has a way to go. It's popular. It speaks of self-esteem. Talks about your best life now. Things like that. It's not the message that Jesus teaches. The message that Jesus gave himself was that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He didn't come to call people that didn't think that they were sinners. He didn't come to give people self-help. He came to show that he was the only one who could save them from a wretched life of misery and sin and a destiny called hell. Lord, I pray that you would speak to some soul today. We have people that will be in the back of our auditorium. They'll be happy to talk to others about the true way of eternal life and knowing Jesus as Savior. I pray that you'd speak to some heart today. Draw Christians, true Christians, together so that we stand against the attacks of the devil, that we're able to spot the false prophet and to warn against it. That's what you've given us as our duty to do. The apostles did it. You did it. And Lord, may it be our job as well. Bless as we sing today, and we just pray, Lord, your spirit would be with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.